Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, we just, I, what I was going to add is I think on that idea of responsibility, and it kind of ties in with the story that you were, you were describing, is there's no choice that we can make that doesn't have consequences, right? We often become blind to the consequences of our current choices and the status quo. And I love the, your, your story because you you sort of became unhappy with the consequences of showing up in that way. And so you, you were able to create a new story, you know, with better consequences. But there's still consequences to, you know, you, when you asked to, or, you know, you share what was on your mind, right? Some people don't appreciate that. And, and you have to be willing to live with that consequence and that's just an important part of taking responsibility. How you day? How you day? Today we have two guests, Gorov and Mark, and they wrote an amazing book, an amazing book called Unfear. And it's one that I want you to truly get. You know, you can get it at unfearbook.com or using the links in the show notes. But it is a fascinating concept of looking at how we approach fear. According to them, fear is responsible for almost all of the dysfunction that most organizations experience. So I'd love you to really reflect on your experience, your relationship with fear, and take in everything they've said. They come from two unique backgrounds, two different approaches, and then it came together to really use the power of their lived experiences to educate us. So think about fear before you get into this episode, pause for a little bit, and then write that whatever comes to mind. And then listen to this episode and please share your thoughts with me. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I have two guests, Gaurav Batnaga and Mark Nukas. They are the co-authors of Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Wellbeing. Now, Gorov is the founder and co-creator, co-creation partner. Uh, I'll start there again. Founder of co-creation partners, not and co I, I, I told I told myself I wasn't gonna do that. And then I was like, no, it's co-creation. It's not the co-creator. Ah, I was reading it earlier. I fell for it. All right. Co-creation partners. Uh, did you do that on purpose? Did you did you did you just put it there so I would think co-creator? <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest, I have two. Today's guests are Gaurav Batnagar and Mark Mnukas. They are the co-authors of Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Wellbeing. Gaurav is the founder of Co-Creation Partners and has dedicated most of his two decades uh, helping companies thrive and achieve breakthrough 
performance. Since co-founding and founding co-creation partners in 2010, he has designed and led programs and workshops for private, public, and social sector clients across multiple industries, including financial services, basic materials, manufacturing, healthcare, and technology. Mark is the managing partner of Co-Creation Partners, an engineer by training. He began his career as a Navy officer and a member of the U.S. Naval Construction Battalion, CBs, and the Navy Drive community. In 2005, he brought his experience and insights into performance of engineered systems to McKinsey and Company, where he worked as a consultant and member of the operations practice. Together, as I said earlier, they've written a book on fear transform your organizations to creating breakthrough performance and employee well-being. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, the pleasure is mine. Now, you and I, the, the, uh, the three of us here have an intersection in the sense that we do work with organizations on improving uh, performance. I, I come at it from organizational, uh, you know, safety, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it sounds like you all are teaching people how to work through unfear. But before I even ask uh, a question about the book, I want to get your thoughts on what we are experiencing this year, which is the great resignation. And especially since the spring of this year, we've been hearing a lot about how many people are choosing to resign, leave their places of work for various reasons. What are your thoughts on that, given the experiences you both have? Mm. I, you know, one way I interpret that is a lot of people aren't really fully satisfied in their, their jobs. And a lot of organizations out there have some real work to, to do on their organizational culture, right? Mm. A lot of people, if the organizational culture is really good, people don't want to leave. They, they yeah. want to, they want to stay there because they, they just find the environment, you know, really satisfying and energizing, but a lot of people aren't experiencing that. And that's, that's a challenge for business leaders in the world. Yeah, I tend to agree. There's a disconnect between a lot of employers and employees. So, okay. Well, on fear, why on fear? Why did you decide to write on fear? And is on fear a word? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, so why did we write about unfair is unfair word? Let's start with unfair is not a word, but it is as of now. Oh, I love that. Take ownership because, of it. <laughs> yeah, we, because we created it. Um, and we deliberately created it because we didn't quite have a word in the English language that described what exactly we were trying to communicate. So let's start with a couple of assertions, Tayo, just, just for the, just for the, you to understand. So I think the first assertion we have is that fear is the single biggest source of waste in organizations. And why do we say that? Because when someone is, when an individual is operating from a place of fear, they either under-regulate themselves and scream and shout, or they over-regulate themselves and don't speak up. Hmm. Uh, at a team level, when there's fear in a team, then the conversations, the difficult conversations that need to happen often don't happen. And when they happen, they happen really poorly. And at an organization level, when there's people are fear-driven, they tend to be short-term driven. And in that short-termism, they make significant strategic mistakes that leads to a lot of loss of value in the long term. So for us, fear is a really significant source of waste. And yet, to be human, is to experience fear. 
right? This is true. And and to say now, well, be fearless is to almost say, don't be a human being. So a lot of the solutions that have been offered recently have been be fearless or let's create safety versus really going a step deeper and understanding that the real answer is to do with how do we reframe our relationship to fear? How do we see fear as an opportunity for learning and growth that allows us to be resilient and allows us to be able to deal with all the challenges we face as human beings and as organizations, rather than say, only when things are good, can I show up in a good way? Wow. So that's the core of unfair. No, I love that, Gaurav. And, and, you know, I was reading through what was sent to me by, by your publicist, and they, they, they sent me this piece that I really found uh, fascinating. I would love to hear both of your thoughts on it. Uh, you had written, fear and uncertainty have been undermining performance and well-being in the workplace for as long as we've had workplaces. And you said, worse, the ever-increasing speed of business, economic slowdown and volatility we face due to COVID-19, racial tensions, and social inequality further exacerbate these emotions. And then you say, here's a little known fact of business. Mismanaged fear is responsible for almost all the dysfunctions that most organizations experience. Now, you both have come into the company that you, you, you both work in now from different lived experiences. I'm curious to hear when you recognized how, how fear wasn't serving you in those moments of your life. Ooh. Well, I'll, I'll go and then I'll, I'll pass it over to, to Gaurav. For me, it's been a slow realization. I, you know, in retrospect, fear was a primary driver in my life. Mm. I was a really competitive kid growing up. You know, I was so, you know, desperate for approval of others and peers and all that. So I channeled that, uh, that fear of, um, yeah, in retrospect, it's, it's a little bit clear, but that fear of not belonging <clears throat> into, you know, competition. So, you know, competing in sports and getting good grades and, and all that other stuff. Um, yeah. And over time, you know, I studied engineering and systems engineering, and then I got into consulting and I just sort of. Um, you know, I was really curious about what makes organizations tick. And I was always, you know, forever amazed at just how difficult it was to create real sustainable change in organizations. You could have the best ideas in the world, and it could be so clear what needs to be done in order for this organization to do better. Um, but, you know, those ideas alone weren't enough. And so yes. I was always, you know, I was searching for this missing piece of this systems puzzle, you know, and it wasn't you just regular change management wasn't enough. And I've learned over time that it's this deep, you know, human factor, which is how we relate, you know, to fear, both individually and collectively. And if you can shift that, that element, shift the story that we hold about fear, you see new possibilities and you know, there's, you sh can show up differently as a leader, you can build trust, you can create organizational systems that actually do perform, you can create, you know, better conversations that happen across a whole organizational system. So for me, it's just been this process of, you know, both, you know, personal realization, but also just as a consultant and coach, you know, understanding how important fear is to this whole system. Oh, love that. Thanks, Mark. What about you, Gov? Well, yeah. So listen, man, I grew up in India. And uh, growing up in India with a billion people, um, I had a story, which is that the only thing that matters was success. Yes. And the way you achieve success is by 
clawing and scratching your way to the top. And it didn't matter how many people you pushed down, as long as you got to the top, that's all that mattered. And that's how I lived my life. And I lived my life like that for the first 32 years of my life. And, you know, I was in India, then I was, I left India and I was in the US. And then interestingly enough, I found myself in South Africa and I was in the office there and the office wasn't doing too well. And we were invited into a workshop around mindset and culture. And there was this English lady sitting in front of, standing in front of the room who was going to teach us something about this mindset stuff. And I was like really cynical. I said, I don't buy into any of this stuff. This is bullshit. And I was telling all my cynical friends, you know, her name, she's calling herself Gita Bellen, but her real name is Margaret. She's <laughs> taken an Indian name. She's taken an Indian name because she wants to convince us and all that stuff. Yeah. And in that workshop, I went through such a transformational experience where I realized that even though I was being successful, I was deeply unhappy and I was always exhausted. And I had a really messed up marriage and I was barely spending any time with my children. And that started a journey 20 years ago, which was as much about me finding myself as it was about me working in my organization and impacting the people I worked with. And what I learned was that when you reconnect with yourself in a different way, when you reconnect with your own fears in a different way, dare I say, when you truly understand what being spiritual really means, then you can marry success and happiness. Mm. Wow. And when you marry success and happiness, then every moment becomes a joy, even when it's super stressful. Wow. And I have been figuring out ways of helping organizations and leaders understand that and live from that place because I believe that when organizations live that way, you create a more sustained planet. You create better race relationships. You create a better relationship with yourself as a human being. That's powerful. And together we make a great team. <laughs> it comes at this stuff from the spiritual lens and I'm like the engineer or organizational theorist and you know together it works so you know th that's that's that was a perfect segue into the next question because i wanted to dive into how both of you use those elements the systemic uh, you know systematic approach to it and the um you know esoteric approach to it but in the book you know you have a guide you have an approach and the approach is to reduce workplace anxiety and, and stress and and you know improve well-being what is this approach that you both came up with? Because you you had a very vulnerable share there, Gorv, and I appreciate that. And you, Mark, with your background, you, you can probably look at it and say A plus B plus C, you know, A plus B plus C will equal D minus F and then equal G. So what, exactly. did, you, <laughs> what did you all do in a way that the audience, you know, uh, can just take away something right now and apply that to their current workplace? Yeah, and real quick, I'll, you know, let me contrast this with what, people typically try to do to create, you know, uh, you know, sense of, you know, safety and, and well-being in, in organizations is they work from the outside in. They mm. say, look, we're just, the leaders are going to create, you know, the, some communication. They're going to, the leaders are going to say something differently than what they're saying before. So we, that's, you know, the outside in approach. 
And over time, you know, that sort of filters down into, you know, how teams inter interrelate and how individuals show up across the organization and may eventually change, you know, the mindsets and beliefs that people have. We flip that completely on its head. And we, we say that the way to create an unfair organization is from the inside out. So you have to start with people's individual, you know, mindsets, and mm -hmm. you have to help people become aware of the stories that they hold about fear and about the threats that they see uh, in the world and start to shift the stories that they have so they show up differently themselves. And then that starts to impact the relationships they have and the, the team dynamics that they have. And they start to have different conversations on their team and build better trust. And then that case cascades out into the, the broader organization where leaders start to tell different stories and create different lore in the organization and create different ways of working and different learning routines and uh, processes and policies and um, all that good stuff that's still very important, but, you know, needs to come from, you know, a different mindset. So we say organizations don't transform, people do. And when a critical mass of people in the organization transform, then the whole system tips over on its own. Wow. Okay. Okay. Anything to add, Gov? Thank you, Mark. No, I think that that's probably at the core of it. Like my my only thing is uh, our philosophy is that it's all the big end. It, there's no either or in our thinking, right? Yes. So you're working on the individual and you're working on the organization at the same time. Okay. Okay. All right. Because now, the, ind the individual is a microcosm of the organization and the organization is a macrocosm of the individual. And so the work that we do is, is multidimensional that allows for the work to happen at the same time on the, on the external as well as the internal. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. And Tay, I'd be curious. Yeah, I would love to learn from you as well. You know, how does that sort of compare and contrast to, you know, some of the approaches that you take with organizations as well? I, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm also a professor, so I believe in frameworks. I always write like that. Uh, and for me, I, I come at it from a cross-cultural element and nuance element. You know, I grew up in five countries and four continents by the time I was um, 17. And so for me, and I spent some time under dictatorships and you know i haven't been to india yet but a lot of my indian friends always tell me that they share an affinity with the of being in a very populous country with multiple you know tribes and, and and religions and then having to deal with what the definition of success is so for me when i was navigating different workplaces as an employee uh as an uh, yeah as an employee before i became an employer uh i found that i the only way for me to feel safe was if I did what I felt was I was supposed to do. I didn't feel like I had permission 
to show up fully as myself because of experiences I had in the past or because of what parents and people had told me. Right. You know, I, I remember even moments of in my life where I was like, should I use my full name or should I use my phone? Now I use my name, but I was like, should I use my full name? What I did, I should I talk in this way? Should I talk in that way? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Or should I even bring that I, I, my, you know, uh, Independence Day is this day. And what I found to be really alienating were moments where I felt like I wasn't being listened to. Now, the ironic thing that, that happened to me as I had a turning point for me, it was actually a car accident. I had a car accident in 2012, which forever changed my mindset. So which is why I resonate with what you're saying, Gaurav. There was a personal transformation that I had to go through, and it was letting go of the fear of, um, you know, failure and actually uh, replacing that with the fear of not being who I ultimately wanted to be. And when you have this, mm. this near-death experience, you, the first thought that comes to your head is, have you done everything you said you're going to do? And in my head, I was like, I was in a job I hated in a town I didn't want to live in. And I, I was 22 and I was like, <laughs> I'm about to, wait, I haven't done anything. And so, once I had that individual transformation, I, I, I started thinking of myself as an owner and I went into different companies with that mindset, demanding what it is that I wanted. Now, some companies didn't want that. So, uh, you know, I got fired twice. I remember that. But then there were some companies that wanted that. And then it coincided with me launching my company and being a good partner. So I found that internal drive <laughs> there important for me. But I don't know that a lot of um, companies believe that empowering individuals is going to benefit them. Sometimes there's that either or mindset to, 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 your, to your point there, Gaurav, where they feel like if they give more employees autonomy, it's going to uh, you know, affect the bottom line. I, I found that to be actually wildly untrue, but I think it's sometimes a tough thing to convince a lot of companies to... Yeah. Uh, no, listen, I totally agree, man. Totally agree. But one of the big ideas in the book we say is, do you want an organization of a thousand children or do you want an organization of a thousand heroes? Hey, children can be heroes too. No, but I, I, I know what you're saying because you're, you're right. It's the, the, the idea of being, you having to mother or father them. Exactly. Them exactly. As, as opposed exactly. to that. Yeah. And then the entire your story, I love your story because I think it picks, it picks on two big ideas in our book. And we talk about two superpowers that we have as human beings. And those superpowers are the power of imagination and yeah. the power of language, right? 
it's our imagination that creates the stories in our head about things. So when you said, hey, initially I had a fear that made me behave the way I people I thought people needed me to behave. That's a story inside your head that says safety is behaving that way. But then you created a new story, right? So our imagination and our language allows us to create stories. And the brilliance of that those stories is those stories create our future. Mm. So not only do stories describe what it is, but it creates our future. Now that you have a story in your head that you want to do something and you have a fear of not being able to do that, you create a different future from when you believe that the story is that I have to do what other people expect me to do, right? So power of imagination and language is tremendous. But as, as Superman's uncle said in the movie, with great power comes great responsibility because your story is your responsibility and yeah. you, you create your future with that story and you better be careful about what story you're creating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I saw you nodding. I, I, you're referring to Uncle Ben, right, from Spider-Man? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Uncle Ben. I, powerful. Yeah, that's one of the greatest quotes uh, um, ever. But so interested. Oh, sorry, Spider-Man, not Superman. I'm so like, sorry, I was man. trying to give you a now. I was trying to give you a now. Man. Superman yes. is my favorite yes. hero, and you must no, quote man. him. How dare you, bro? We're gonna... Okay, okay, we're done. <laughs> All, right. All right, I'm going to bring the Batman energy back to this. Character. All right, Bat you would be Batman. I can say. I, mean, I think I would be, yeah. yeah. I think I would be. Batman, uh, Iron Man. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, you, you were not in, Mark. I was very curious to what you, you know, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I was just... I what I was going to add is I think on that idea of responsibility and it kind of ties in with the story that you were, you're describing is there's no choice that we can make that doesn't have consequences, right? We yeah. often become blind to the consequences of our current choices and the status quo. And I love the, your, your story because you, you sort of became unhappy with the consequences of showing up in that way. Yeah. And so you, you were able to create a new story, you know, with better consequences. But there's right. still consequences to, you know, you, when you ask to, or, you know, you share what was on your mind, right? Some people don't appreciate that. And, uh, and you have to be willing to live with that consequence. 100%. And that's just an important part of taking responsibility. Yeah. And from I, I, that place, what you understand, Tayo, is that you're not just an actor in your life. You are the director of your life. You know what's so funny? I, I, I have a poem that I wrote that. That, that, that line... That's exactly what I said. I said, I decided, because I was writing from this, I said, I decided to no longer be the actor in my life, to be the director. So we're, we're in sync here, girl. You know, we might not Dude. agree on superheroes, but we're, we're yeah. in sync. <laughs> we're except, in sync. That I, except that LeBron James is not my think, man. Oh, my gosh. We can't do this right now. We can't, we're not doing this right now. Mark, bring some sanctity back. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> but. I, I, you brought up LeBron. We've brought up superheroes. I want to talk about culture in every area. So sports teams, we've seen the downfall of some sports teams when there's a failure in leadership. We've seen a downfall of companies when there's a failure in leadership. You both have a unique experience. You were in the Navy. So, uh, Mark, and you, Gorf, you've worked across multiple, multiple countries. I'm curious to see if you can teach us what you found to be successful and what you found to be unsuccessful. Because I'm sure both of you at this point, you can go into an environment, wherever the industry, and you can instantly see signs of toxicity or signs mm -hmm. of potential success. 
And I think that ability to be able to highlight that would be actually useful for many of the listeners here because, you know, there's, you know, foggy, smoky mirrors a lot of times and people think, oh, this is so nice. But what are those things to look out for to make sure that we don't have toxic work cultures? Marco, yeah, go. Yeah, sure. I'll, let me jump in and, and Gaurav, you, you, you add here. Um, yeah, one thing we talk about in the book are these, these fear archetypes. Uh, so it's basically eight different patterns of behavior that are kind of indicators that there may be a lot of fear um, that are kind of working in the, the organization. And that really you know, sort of creates some of the dysfunction in, in cultures. And we categorize those into the fight club and the nice club. So just real quick, you've got fault finders in the fight club. You've got uh, hyper competitors, you know, um, people that need to win at all costs. You've got uh, perfectionists and then you have controllers. Right. People are very hierarchical. And then a nice club, you have the likables, people who are just kind of nice, but they don't really tell you the truth. You've got the sticklers, people that throw the rule book at you. You've got the, uh, the minions and, uh, you know, people just, you know, see the, the boss is the only customer. And then you also have the um, avoiders as well. You know, people that just avoid difficult conversations. So these are kind of the patterns that we notice and we um, you know, look for in organizations. And if, you know, some or all of that stuff is going on in a particular culture, there's a sign that, you know, there's some dysfunction and a lot of those, you know, the tone is set by the leaders in the organization, obviously. Yeah. That's yeah. So true. I have a slightly different take on this, which is that historically, unfortunately, leadership has been defined in a couple of ways. One is you're a strong leader or you're, you're a weak leader. And the other aspect, the way it's done is you're a charismatic leader or you're not. What Mark and I have found is that strong leadership, if it's fear-based, can be really dysfunctional uh, because it shuts down voices. It, it, it does not allow people to get and step into their amazingness and all of that stuff. Mm. And weak leadership can also be not effective because weak leadership then leads to uh, everything being too soft and not moving forward. So the, the real intentionality that we bring in is not about strong or weak or or aspir or uh, and so, but it's much more about is someone is a leader being reactive in the in, in challenging situations. Or does a leader come from a place of wisdom in calm and reflection? Again, goes back to is a leader thinking of himself or herself as a director, or is a leader just reacting from a place of being an actor? Because when you're a director, you are able to draw everyone in. You're able to stretch people and yet inspire people. You're yeah. able to coach people and yet push them beyond their boundaries. That is the nature of leaders that are successful. The historic nature of leadership being strong is creating all the crazy political leaders where, that we have across the globe where they're doing crazy things like shutting people out, shutting people down and stuff like that. And that is not really what leadership is truly about uh, in the future. It's so fascinating to me because you two, again, you two come from such different perspectives. I love how you complement each other, but you said fear-based and I couldn't help but think about your background, Mark. When you think about the stereotypical image of a military uh, you know, regime, it is fear-based in that the runs, do this. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. I've never served in the military, but that is the stereotypical image that gets projected. 
And to many people will say that that provided structure, discipline, and it, it made them work together. So what do you say? Is it actually fear-based or is there a nuance there that we don't see in the stereotypical images projected on TV? I think there is a lot of nuance, actually. And I, you know, the military is a big place and, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge economy in its, its own right. Yeah. Um, and so I, you, you definitely will find units that are, you know, really well run. And, you know, despite having some hierarchical structure are really, you know, not fear-based. They really are based in that, you know, that self-confidence and wisdom that, that Cora was talking about. And likewise, you have units that are very much uh, fear-based. So, you know, you can have hierarchy doesn't have to exist in tension with fear, right? If, okay. if the hierarchy is there to streamline things and enable people and empower people uh, to do what they, you know, can do in their, their own respective roles, that's a good thing. And, you know, when the hierarchy sort of becomes self-serving, mm. that ends up being very, very fear-based. And that's when you kind of get into some of those right. stereotypes. I appreciate that distinction. Well, Gore, my question yeah. for you is um, it has to do with this cross-culture element. You, you've obviously worked across several cultures. Now, you and I know there are different cultures that have different power distances and power dynamics. And in some cultures, the idea of even refuting or saying something is not going to fly because there could be consequences. And in some cultures, it is encouraged. With your framework and your background and your experience, uh, what have you found to help those people in cultures where maybe autonomy isn't as promoted. And then on the other side, how can you help those people where there's high autonomy to actually find that level of balance uh, where they can, you know, encourage other people to share their, their thoughts instead of just them? Dude, you ask difficult questions, huh? I know, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only reason. I just staying on the basic questions. <laughs> no, no, listen, I, I love that question. Let, let me... Let me let me uh, share some thoughts on that. So the first primary idea that that I would submit is the idea we we don't operate from an idea of right and wrong. Right. Right. We operate from an idea of being effective. So the way we think about everything in the work that we do is how are you going to be effective, even when you're suppose you're working in a low autonomy environment. And you believe absolutely, truly, strongly that you are right in demanding autonomy. If you're not going to be effective, there's no point in being right. Mm. right? We often say being self-righteous often leads to being ineffective. So it, ultimately, what the work that starts happening is that, and I talk about language, but it's all in how you communicate. So for example, when I operated in South Africa and in Nigeria, in fact, the way I engaged with leadership and the language I used with leadership was completely different from the language I need to use in the United States when I'm working with leaders here. Because depending on who's in front of you, you have to nuance your language. When you're in a you know, low autonomy environment, the way you nuance your language is by uh, seeking permission in ways that, that allows people to see new ideas versus in, in high autonomy environment where you can assert decisions when yeah. working with, with, with people, right? Mm -hmm. but, but in either situation, it's about reading the person in front of you and, and thinking about how do you engage in the conversation with them that allows them to see their own assumptions 
allows them to see the story that is driving their sense of autonomy or lack of it, and then operate from there. So one of the big ideas in the work is you meet people where they are, not where you want them to go. Because if you start with where you want them to go, they, you might lose them. Hmm. So it's all in your communication and in really nuancing the language you use. That's that's so, and I, I I do agree that it involves a high degree of nuance, and I I don't think a lot of leaders or people feel like if they take the time to understand what constitutes safety, what constitutes success, what factors into belonging, uh, that you know that they will actually have a great way to drive performance. So it, it, you, or, you have or, to. By the way, Tyler, for example, if I go to Nigeria, you know. First, I'm not going to go around telling them, hey, I'm from America and I know better. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try and understand the, the culture. What is it that people in Nigeria are feeling proud about? I'll talk to them about jollof rice and I'll write. I will engage in the culture as a way of, of being allowed to be welcomed in before I start engaging in a different yeah. conversation. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how can people find your amazing book, both of you? Where can they go online to make sure they grab a copy? By the way, we just got the first hard copy yesterday of the book. Hey! So, I'm very excited about this. Yay! <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so the book is available. Um, you can go either on Amazon.com or IndieBooks.com. If you want to support your local store, go to IndieBooks.com. And the book is now starting to ship out. It's on Kindle. If you want to engage in a dialogue with us, you can go to cocreationpartners.com or you can go to unfairbook.com and, and, and reach out to us. And we'd love to stay connected on anything that people may have questions around. Brilliant, brilliant. And my final question, uh, as Mark alluded to earlier, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So I'll start off with you, Mark, and I'll go with you, Gaurav. How do you use your difference to make a difference? Mm. Well, I'm using, you know, my unique combination of leadership experience and systems thinking and now, you know, this deep personal transformation to positively impact people's lives and businesses. I'm trying to put a dent in this, you know, what's driving people in this big uh, resignation. You know, I'm trying to help leaders and, and employees together find more satisfaction and, and well-being in their their work environments. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I have a really big, bold mission. And people laugh at me for that. Uh, my, my ambition is to transform all of humanity. And the way I do it is I do it through organizations. Because my work in organizations, I believe organizations more than governments today impact human beings way more. And so my work of transforming how organizations engage is fundamentally driven so that we can actually transform all of humanity. Because if we can get leaders to see that there's no dichotomy between performance and well-being, if we can help leaders see that by shifting their relationship to fear, they can actually contribute to the planet, contribute to society, and contribute to the bottom line, then I'm creating a whole new world. And that is ultimately my mission. And that's where I'm using my difference to make a difference. Brilliant. Thank you both. You two have been uh, amazing with your, you know, the wealth of information you shared. And I appreciate the vulnerability. So 
thank you for coming on the show. I'm wishing you loads of success. Likewise. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again. Dude, this was lots of fun, man. Yeah. yeah. Pleasure's <laughs> mine. Kings, queens, and royalty until next time. Use your difference <laughs> to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.